Welcome to Sanctuary First again to the Friday night weekly review and it's great to have you with us and thank you for taking the time to listen to us and join our podcast this week. And we welcome with us our, our key writer this week, Scott Shackleton, who's the principal chaplain of the fleet. And it's great to have you with us again, Scott. Hi, um, Albert. Nice to see you. And we're hoping that Ian Jimison, Dr. Jimison, might be able to join us tonight, but he is out in duty. And he said if he can get a, a connection somewhere when he's out and about and he's uh, not too busy, he might stop the car and uh, drop in. But it depends on what kind of connections he can get. So... We might get Ian pop in, we might not. But anyway, who's a, we're going to have a great time, regardless with the great team we've got here. It's great to have Laura Dagen with us tonight. Thank you, Laura, for joining us again. Hello. And also a member of our team works often in the background, all our designs and the background work with the with Sanctus, tying in with Sanctus Media and Ray is, is Jack Steele, who is a at the moment, focusing on book, the book clubs, and they we're going to have a chat to Jack about the book clubs and how they're going on and how we can develop more of the book clubs within Sanctuary First. So that's our, that's our team tonight. And behind the screen, the weekly review is Ray, as usual. They are supporting us and uh, keeping us to time. So, hi, guys. How are you getting on this week? <laughs> yeah, pretty good, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. been a bit busy week um, for the services yeah, with Remembrance Week. Yeah, so we obviously had rem- yeah, yeah, a great week. Um, obviously, Remembrance Sunday, Sanctuary First, and then um, you know we were all working on on Wednesday on the eleventh, and uh, I had the the privilege of leading a service on Drake's Island in Plymouth Sound, uh, which is the first time there'd been a service there for an awful long time, and it, it was quite remarkable and. Um, yeah, it was great. It was really great. So, so that was a bit of fun, a bit different, having to get on a boat uh, onto an island. I felt a bit like Columba. And uh, yeah, it was good fun. But glad it's, you're always uh, glad to get, get through Remembrance in some ways because it's such a poignant and an important uh, day for so many people. You're, you're very conscious you want to do your best, especially for the bereaved families. Exactly. And you want to get the right, hit the right tone, don't you? Yeah. And that's sometimes uh, just so um, delicate to make sure that you get that right. Um, what sort of uh, shape did some of the service, or how different was it, Scott? Because the services you would normally carry out, of course, would be very different, I imagine, to how you had to do them this year. Um, yeah, just really in, in terms of size, Jack, to be honest. Um, because it was an island, we, we could control the numbers uh, onto the island through the boat. And, and there was as many film crews from the TV as there were people, if truth be oh, told. Wow. So, um, so, yeah, so... Um, a camera for every member of the audience. It wasn't, it wasn't far off that because there wasn't many of us. Um, but because it was going, going out live, um, then it allowed people who couldn't be there but wanted to, like this, the, the opportunity to, to be there without physically being there. So actually, it, it, for COVID, it, it didn't really change much. And the service was the usual service with buglers and last post and wreaths. Um, um, and it was the type of service you'd do at the War Memorial. So it's yes. quite, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And I take it it got broadcast to a couple of locations, of course, with all the TV crews and everything. 
Yeah, we, we, we got evening coverage um, uh, from ITV and, and a little from BBC, and we, we also got it out on Plymouth Live. Right. Um, uh, so, so that was good for, for Plymouthians to at least see it as well. So, yeah, so it was, it was good to, to have, a, as Albert said, a poignant remembrance of real people, um, you know, people who I know and the families who I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you're very conscious that, that friends of yours would be watching mm. um, and ho- hoping you did it properly for them. It was great to see all the different ways that people um, came together to pull something together that still was poignant and still had some meaning um, despite restrictions. And even if they were online sort of services and stuff, there was still a lot of heart put into it. I mean, that's been the case for the whole yeah. Lockdown yeah. and pandemic, it's been really encouraging to see how much yeah. people have been willing to sort of think outside the box. Yes, and, and in some ways we, we're, we're finding, um, I took a funeral recently and what we found, even though there was only 30 people at the funeral, um, there was hundreds of people uh, live online, who, and many of whom I don't think would have managed to have attended the funeral um, if it hadn't been online. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably I would say 10 times as many. Um, because of the geography of it all. Um, so, yeah, uh, and interestingly, someone said to me that they quite liked the, the funeral being smaller for the family because they could concentrate on one another mm-hmm. rather than having 500 people there um, where they really had to host a lot of people. So, again, we're learning so many things um, during COVID about how we can do church and do worship and do spirituality, I think. You, know, and you guys, of course, are leading from the front. You know, Scott, what I'm thinking about, uh, just for a moment, if we could have a discussion around these, the symbols and the rituals, the rituals around some of the, the little services that are carried out. Uh, and I often think of remembrance services, the, the importance of the bugler mm. and the piper and mm-hmm. that music. Mm-hmm. But uh, and it's almost as though, for me, I don't know if you, you know, it seems to me as though, like the last post, is you know the the going down of the sun, you know. Yeah. And, but then there's the valley, which is the morning, the wakening up. Mm. You know, and it's a a symbol of that death is not the end, but there is something more to look forward to, and th- th- this season of remembrance, it, it it it's got to be clothed in something that is mystical, but takes us beyond where we are to see something hopeful. And, and yeah, I, I, yeah. you know, I, I think these symbols are important, you know. And yeah. I mean, I, I often think, um, having been doing this for nearly 30 years now, um, what I don't want to do is spoil it. So yeah. less is better than too much because the ritual in itself does the talking, mm-hmm. the structure, um, and the Kohima now is, is, is the big finish now after the Rivali, uh, where, you know, when you go home, tell them of us and say, for your tomorrow, we gave our today. And then you just close it with a blessing. And you don't mm-hmm. need to say anything else. Um, cause the, because of the wreath laying, the ritual surrounding it all, takes care of it. It's a bit like Christmas, actually, in some ways. Mm-hmm. A traditional Christmas often resonates more with people than trying to be clever, mm-hmm. you know, and preaching long sermons. Mm-hmm. 
last year um I was I, I I had like to start off the um this the service um the um for the Remembrance Sunday because the minister of the church was at the cenotaph and was you know coming was going to come and join and oh I, it's that what you said Scott about wanting to make sure about doing it right like yeah. I, I don't think I have ever been so nervous about a yeah. service before because people have expectations and you know that there's people that have you know that have been that are in the congregation and they maybe didn't know their father because their father had died yeah. in war and yeah, you know yeah. they've lost so many people and how precious that is to them mm. and and I just I had I've never felt actually pressure like that before like just yeah. to make it just to make it so and you yeah. just I just was like I need to take so much care um, yeah. yeah I mean Common Order the Book of Common Order is in my view the best service book for remembrance mm-hmm. um, having worked with people from, with different books and the two services the one for the church and one for the war memorial are stunningly good I mean John Bell's liturgies and words are right through it but it's really really beautiful and many people have said to me you know where did you get these words from and I said well to be honest I've just read them out of the Church of Scotland Book of Common Order Um, and that's enough rather than trying to invent something if you know what I mean uh, for fear of breaking something that's quite lovely and of course we weren't really trained if we're honest um, in some of these high season liturgies um, when we were training for the ministry, um, other than I was told to don't veer too much off common order if you're unsure, because it's safe ground to go to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think th- these are important things to, I think that point you made about not g- gilding the lily, but mm-hmm. just cute, like, letting space for things. I mean, I think about you, Jack, as an artist, eh, you must. Th- realize that sometimes less means more yeah it's it's that's a tricky one because i often I'm, I'm often very keen to add more but it's often only when you for example i've been editing a lot of pictures recently because I've, I've had a, a lot of shoots again as things gradually opened up for photographers and 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 the video industries so we've been able to shoot with social distancing allowed um i mean a camera can shoot two meters so it doesn't matter too much in that regard as long as they're all wearing masks um and when I'm editing pictures, I often, the first pass, I end up adding all the, you know, colours I can possibly imagine. And, 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 and I go away and I come back a couple of times. But often, each time I come back, I'm, I never add, um, I never dial it up more. It's always a case of going, oh, actually, that, that needs to come down a bit. That's a bit, that's a bit much. And, oh, that's actually way too colourful. That hurts my eyes, you know. <laughs> so it's a, a process of reducing is... Um, tends to garner better results than just adding more yeah i'd say so so this kind of simplicity eh, which it just takes me just an interesting comment for sunday service eh, maybe since we're talking about this it's all within the context eh, eh, you know i know that laura you and eh, james have been looking at a, a very a simpler service on sunday as well yes uh uh-huh yeah we were I is we've just kind of like gone back to basics. We're we're stripping it all back, and uh, 
Yeah, it's nothing too flashy this week, but it's it, <clears throat> you know rooted in prayer and in scripture and community. So <laughs> it's all there. It's just you know the format is just stripped back. Mm-hmm. Listen, here, here we're coming back. This prayer, scripture, and community. One of the things that Scott and I were working on last week were these words of inspiration, sacrifice, and forgiveness. And as we, as we, I mean, I've been thinking about the discussion for tonight. And as we we look towards Christmas, I was thinking, how do we inspire people to celebrate Christmas? when it's so hard to see how we can be together as families and community and what, you know, that, that bond. And, you know, how do we celebrate and how do we inspire one another? What are the things we need to be thinking about? And also, is there an element in which we're going to have to sacrifice some things in order that something might be good for someone else? And then, you know, what areas, what areas are we prepared to sacrifice? in order to help others. And, uh, and and how do we make Christmas unforgettable? And then what came to my mind was yeah, unforgettable, maybe because we make something forgivable and we forgive somebody and, and we build a, maybe, you know, the power of a Christmas might be that, that we actually make a phone call to someone and forgive them and, and a new relationship begins. And it wasn't in the flesh, but it was, over a telephone call or, you know, by a letter or a card or something like that. So that's the discussion. So I think there will be a lot of folk reaching out um, over the phone. Because the strange thing is Christmas can be quite a lonely period for people that don't have others around them. But now everyone's in the same boat, as it were. Because we'll all not have a big households to go to and a whole load of family members to gather around we'll all just be kind of cut off into our own little bits of the pie so I think there will be a lot of reaching out I think as a result of people being more aware that they need to reach out to their own family via the phone I think they'll reach out also to the extended members of their family and maybe the friends they didn't contact and maybe the people that they've not seen for five years so I think I think there is actually maybe a good turn that could come from it being yeah. a bit put back. Do you know what Martha was saying to me yesterday? She said to me, um, some of the gifts we're going to get, she said, I was thinking maybe we should start getting them parceled up now and start posting things to people. And then I thought, I started to think, how nice it would be for people to maybe receive things through the post and open up. And it's that, it's again, thinking about people and maybe we can build relationships that way too, not just sending cards, but delivering presents or delivering, po- you know, whether but we can't go out of our own area. So we've got to keep within our area, within the law. But, uh, you know, sending tokens to one another and, and thinking about that. I've got some ideas I want to talk about in a minute about that, but I want to, I want to see if I can pull some ideas out of you as well. So, so Albert, you're... Um... You're about two months ahead of me in, in talking about Christmas, um, which is wonderful. But I want to talk about St. Andrew's Day uh, and, and I want to talk about the start of Advent. So, I mean, we cannot not mention the football result last night. 
um, you know, because you know we never ever win, <laughs> ever, <laughs> and we miraculously somehow won, and and the lift that that, that alone will give our wee nation, um, you know, into this difficult period, and and it was yeah, and it was just lovely to see the lads um, celebrating and saying, I hope this makes a difference to everybody at home, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, um, I, I've often thought we, we don't do enough in Scotland about our own National Day, which is St Andrew's Day, mm-hmm. uh, alongside, you know, Burns mm-hmm. Night. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I remember Neil Galbraith when he was, when he still is the Minister of Cathcart Old, and um, he's the chairman of Glasgow, the Caring City, and I used to work alongside Neil. And um, Neil sold St Andrew's crosses uh, for a pound that you wore on St Andrew's. They like poppies and all the money went to, to the charity. And, um, you know, that was a lovely way because St Andrew's Day is normally the first day of Advent, mm-hmm. you know, to take us into a period of preparation for Christmas. Um, you know, before we start worrying too much, um, you know, about what we're going to do in Christmas Day, because often it's a letdown if we build too much into it, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in that so, so I throw out <clears throat> ideas to people, let's let's think about St Andrew's Day, what it means for us as, as a Christian uh, church, uh, as our patron saint, and, and also what, what can it do for us as it takes us into Advent, as we follow the steps through Advent to, to take us to Christmas morning. And then what would you traditionally do on St Andrew's Day? What would I do? Yeah. Uh, well, no, I, would, I would do a, as a minister. Well, I would. Uh, y- y- your trouble is you're either going to preach first Sunday in Advent text, or you're going to preach St Andrew's Day, uh, and uh, it's quite hard to merge the two. <laughs> but I always try and do <laughs> do both, um, and and throw a bit of St Andrew into. I think it's John the Baptist, isn't it, and the and the, the first Sunday in Advent. So um, yeah, you kind of mix the two up, but I always try and make sure the colic for St Andrew's thrown in at some point. But yeah, one of the <clears throat> lovely things about the story of St Andrew that we always think is that it was Andrew who uh, brought the wee boy to Jesus. Yeah, with the five loaves and the two fish. What do you yeah. remember about Andrew? Well, Andrew was the one. Andrew was the one also that told his big brother Peter about Jesus. Yeah. Hey, I've met the Messiah. He's a big, you know. And it, it, Andrew was also the one who the Greeks came to and said, we would like to see, well, no, was, it, was that Philip? Maybe that was Philip. But, but Andrew seems to, in my mind, be the person who introduces people to Jesus. Yes. And, and the, there's something about that for a St Andrew's Day uh-huh. at the beginning yeah. of Advent exactly. to maybe be introducing our neighbours to Jesus. I think that's where our inspiration is for that we can be for, for the whole of this Advent going up into Christmas Day. Because I think for too many people, uh, you know, it's, it's about Santa and it's about shopping and it's about, oh, let's have parties and get into the festive holiday season. Mm-hmm. And Jesus isn't in it. You know, Christ isn't always in Christmas, but, but Christ can really come back into this Christmas. You know, and as we remember that 
you know, and it wasn't, you know, how how Jesus actually came in, you know, to the world. It wasn't like, you know, this perfect birth, you know, it was, you know, it was messy and it was cold and it was lonely and, you know, God God came down and he earth to, you know, share our suffering, you know, and it's like, that's, that, that's really inspiring, you know, and I think just to be able to, you know, remind people of that at this time that, I it's hard and it's lonely, but, but God's in this with us. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think we've um, uh, we've lost a wee bit of the magic, and as much as we 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 make it very cerebral, our message sometimes in the Church of Scotland. Um, you know, um, I, I really enjoy going to cathedrals that have got their big, you know, festivals round the stalls, round the food, round a huge nativity scene for people to go and look at. Mm. Uh, you know, something material and artistic to visit rather than the discussion that we often do in church <laughs> and through a sermon. Um, I, 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 I think there's an excitement about traveling to see things like a fully, you know, built stable. Um, uh, and I think, I think it's, it's a night out for people. It's often free. And, and I wonder if we need to start recapturing the great festivals of the Christian year again that people can travel to um, in city centres and in the cathedrals um, and enjoy beautiful art, beautiful music, rather than it be about about preaching all the time. There have been some interesting projects, because of course, obviously this year, we won't be able to um, as much travel in person to these great kind of places. And uh, um, last year, I had the, the, the great um, enjoyment of going to um, being in Munich for, during the Christmas right. sort of period, uh, not for Christmas Day itself, but the run up to it. Um, and their Christmas markets are, you know, just the best in the world, you know. It's, I, I imagine, I've not been to New York, but I imagine theirs are pretty good too. But the Germans know how to do Christmas, that's for sure. I think yeah. the interesting thing about the way that Germans do Christmas is it's not necessarily the glitz and glamour that the Americans approach it with, but they kind of approach it with a bit more heart related around food and sort yeah. of wine and people, which yeah. I think is a more wholesome sort of version of it. You know, it's not too fairy taley. Um, yeah. But I think there's been a lot of interesting projects that I've heard in the grapevine of people trying to do stuff this year with um, social distancing, you know, to try and get drive through Christmas markets and other stuff yeah. in place. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see whether that sort of stuff happens because I think you're right to an extent. It is good to focus on Christmas being something more than just this stuff. But at the same time, the stuff that we associate with Christmas, that sort of material aspect of it does have a big impact on people and it does yeah. change our sort of emotions and our sort of feelings in the run up to it. So it'll be weird without it at all. Yeah, and they go cheek by jowl because you can... At one of these markets, if it's, you know, around one of the, the great cathedrals using the grounds, um, you know, people will still go into the cathedral, walk around the cathedral, see, see the, the, some Christian story within that. And outside, Santa will be, you know, doing his stuff, uh, selling hamburgers. So, so there's this lovely <laughs> mixture of, of the modern and, and, and the ancient tale that doesn't exclude one another, I don't think. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I'm drawing into one of your 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 um, reflections this week, where you talk about it's better felt than tell. Oh yes. <laughs> you know, if anybody wants to comment on that, 
Oh no, I just think that was it. I, 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 it was the, I loved that title actually because actually, you know, so it is, that's how people, I think that's how people learn, isn't it? That's how you come to realise things, you know, it's like, I. It's better whenever you feel that inside. Do you know, there's a song, that song, I think, I don't know if you remember a few weeks back for the, the, the weekly message, I started it off with the, if I could only tell him as I know him, my redeemer who has brightened all my way, if I could say how precious is his mercy, then I'm sure that you would make him yours today. Could I tell it? Could I tell it? How the sunshine of his presence lights my way. I would tell it. I would tell it. And I'm sure that you would make him yours today. But he goes on to say, but I can only tell him as I know him. And, and it's that better being felt than telt. And I think that's what we're, this Christmas story is all about. Our walking, living Jesus in our everyday life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Aye, and I, th I think the um, it's a wee bit like less is is better than more. Um, you know, some sometimes I remember some of the old ladies in in the church I went to in Glasgow would say of very enthusiastic people, "I he's very keen, <laughs> he's very keen <laughs> in the faith," <laughs> and they'd go and make him a cup of tea and be very kind, um, and they had lived lived out their faith for their whole life quite wonderfully, you know. And they were still very generous to young ministers, perhaps like me, who preached for far too long and repeated things too often. And they'd um, heard it all before. They'd heard it all before, but they were generous and loving and kind. Uh, and, you know, they, they didn't judge you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they knew, they knew when they sang the old rugged cross what that meant. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things about this idea of preparing eh, Scott for for Advent and leading into Christmas, I think that's really what I've been trying to think about, how we, we take time now from a distance out to think about how are we going to prepare over the next mm. few months, you know. And um, I remember what, something that I thought we might do in Sanctuary First at some point, if we can pull it off, is um, introduce the Christmas tree. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you've heard about the Christmas tree. Uh, no, I think no, no, no. I mean, it's it's origin. I think the original idea either comes from Germany or or or, or 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 Sweden, but the idea is that you have a a Christmas tree that is evergreen. So it's a you have a real tree. It's got to be an evergreen tree, and uh, you hang lights on it. But the lights have got to be pure white lights. Mm -hmm. as, as a sign, of, and, and everything you put on the tree is either gold to speak of the kingship of Christ or white to speak of the purity of Christ. Mm. And the evergreen tree is about the everlasting life, the tree of life. And, uh, and then you hang on this tree of life, the light of the world. Jesus, the light of the world. And then you encourage people to make everything you put on the tree has got to be handmade. So that's why it's good to talk about it now because you need yeah. time to do this. Everything's yeah. got to be made handmade and it's got to be handmade of something that's white and gold. 
you can't put anything on the tree that's not white or gold. Why? So you end up with this amazingly beautiful, majestic, A dazzling, dazzling tree mm -hmm. that's white and gold and green, you know. And uh, but but what you put on it is mono, monograms of the Christian faith or any symbols of the Christian faith, uh, I, and people work on them and put them together. I remember one lady made this same. Uh, she got two small circles and put them inside one another, you know, like hula hoops going inside yeah. one another. But they were very, they were smalls. And then she had made tools, like a carpenter's tools, a hammer, a chisel and all that. And she hung those all in the center mm -hmm. and she put a cross in the middle of it all. And then she hung that on the tree. And it was beautiful. But mm. she had taken the carpenter and the cross and she had said that she'd, she'd expressed the gospel, you know, in, and, yes. and, and it's that kind of inspiration that people could have between now in lockdown as I maybe think about things to do, or someone else who's good at sewing, using a completely different material, using cloth, could sew maybe a crown and put, and put you know, the gold leaf around it or the gold braiding around it and embroidery or people just using glue and, and, and paper I'm and getting children to do stuff. I, I can imagine this taking shape, like virtually, you know, uh, you know, getting getting more and more on it as Advent goes on. So that would be something we should encourage people to send in for us, Albert, and well, we can yeah. have it on the website. Well, that's and, what I was thinking, and I was thinking trying to get Jack, if we can do it in distance, distance filming, but I was thinking we could maybe have an evening somewhere where we could get lights hanging up and we could maybe have people, some table set out where people were making a, a craft evening. Craft evening. Mm -hmm. People were making outside, it's got to be outside mm -hmm. and again, maybe, and then come and put it on the tree and dress the tree and film that. I think that'd be quite, I think that'd be quite lovely. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be beautiful. But it's, it's that symbolism of uh, encouraging people. But then I also thought, wouldn't it be lovely to be making these things and sending some of these as gifts to someone to put on their tree? And even if you've not got a Christmas tree, you might think, I'm not going to have a Christmas tree because I've got stuff I like putting on my tree from, you know, from past. But you could nod to the idea of a Christmas tree by making something and putting it on it. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of handmade decorations. I think uh -huh. it brings people, rather than it being a material trinket, it kind of gives the item that you're putting on the tree some sort of um, significance. Yeah. I mean, we used to do it in, in Bowness, in the church in Bowness, and in Rail tell you that we, 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 we kept all these. We used to keep all the, once they were taken off the tree, we used to then, of course, when you take all the, 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 the decorations off the tree, we would then cut the tree, all the, all the branches off it, and then hold on to the tree and turn it into a cross for Lent, mm -hmm. for the beginning of Lent. And at the beginning of Lent, the first Sunday in Lent, we would bring the Christmas, the Christmas tree out, but it was now a cross. And it would sit in front of the church for the whole time of Lent. And then... On, Christmas, on, on Easter Sunday, one or two folks would come and on 
the Saturday evening cover the cross with flowers. And uh, then it was, then you said this cross sitting at the front of the church covered with flowers for resurrection. Um, the one thing I always wanted to do after the cross was covered with flowers and the resurrection was over, I often thought the next phrase should have been to take the tree and burn it for the fire for Pentecost. <laughs> we, we, we never quite got to that stage, but maybe that's another time for another time. But it's back to what we're talking about, Scott, symbolism and ritual. It speaks to people because what used to happen then is every year when we would hang up the tree in Bowness, we would bring out decorations that were made and we'd say, that was made by Ina. Oh, that was made, and, and Ina's passed on, but she's now on the tree of life. You know, and it's this living dynamic story of people's, the, the, the story of remembrance picked up again and crafted into, into the story of, of Christmas and eternity. I was um, I was really moved by Scott with it passing the knowledge on um, reflection this this week, and just what, what Albert was saying there about this, you know, the crafting um, and like the symbolism, you know, in remembrance. Uh, this stood at Kennedy, you know, um, getting this memorial, you know, mm. the, the cross. Mm. You know, uh, erected after you know for us for the as a memorial um, outside the church, and I looked it up. Um, you know the picture um, of the cross, and it is you know we you know Jesus is on the cross, but he's he's looking out, and it's this. I just love this idea that uh, Jesus is he's suffering alongside. You know, mm. um, it, it, it came out of there was a. There was a poem, uh, I can't remember the name of it now, but but it was basically um, Sturrock Kennedy had a soldier, a Tommy, saying, you know, looking out across the, the, the horrors of the Western Front and, and saying, so where is your God now? And um, Sturrock Kennedy uh, noticed that there was a crucifix from a church that was kind of half fallen over. And... and he he realised that what he wanted to do was um, have the head r rise up in life, but yet remain on the cross. Uh, and he said, um, "My God is is in the mud with us here." Mm -hmm. And and the the importance of the sacrament of Holy Communion um, is deeply profound um in situations like that because you can't preach you can't sing hymns you can't have a tree with flowers that you put on mm -hmm. that's very domestic church but out there um you have got five minutes to share some bread and some wine and and the intensity of, of situations he would describe as um his altar would become a box uh, and, and he would sit down with five or six people. So um, that there's, a, there's a reality to his theology, I think, that, that we can really, really learn from. And it's easy to forget. What can you tell us about Stuart Kennedy? Any, can you tell us a wee bit more about him? What's his, what's his background? So um, the, the book to read, William Purcell, uh, Woodbine Willie by his friends, is, is the book to read. 
Um, it's, uh, his background as his father was Anglo-Irish background. His father was a parish priest in, in the slums uh, or the poorer districts of, of Leeds, where, where Stuttgart Kennedy was raised. Um, he then uh, he, he trained at Trinity College over in uh, Dublin and then came back and um, he was a, a curate in Ripon. And then his first parish was in Worcester, uh, in the poorest area of Worcester. Uh, his church, I think, was called St. James. And uh, he was known for his care for uh, his caring attitude for the poor. That was the big thing about Woodbine Willie. He was known for uh, coming home without a pair of shoes and without a coat back to the vicarage because he'd given them away. Um, he was deeply sacramental. He was uh, of a very Anglo-Catholic background, um, but he said he felt that, that the poor uh, identified with the sacramentalism of his ministry. And um, in 1915, he, he signed up to, to join the army as a chaplain and he earned an MC on the Messines Ridge for his bravery um, as a stretcher bearer, effectively. Um, and he survived the war, but it, but it changed him profoundly theologically. He started writing poetry in the vernacular, uh, writing books. He wrote a famous book called Food for the Fed Up, <laughs> <laughs> which was an analysis of the Apostles' Creed. It is a brilliant book on the Apostles' Creed. He wrote a play that ran in the West End of London. Um, his best mate was William Temple, the famous archbishop. Uh, who described him as the greatest priest that Temple had ever met. Um, and very sadly, he, he, he had a bad chest, he got asthma, and, and the gas didn't help from the first war, and he, he died of an asthma attack in Liverpool in 1929. Oh. Um, and he was, his body was picked up and put in a cortege to take to the, the railway station, and it was said that 5,000 of our puddlings came behind the cortege, uh, behind their padre. Uh, so that there's a deep connection to the, this man to to the people um, beyond the doors of the church, um, and I think if we want to reach beyond the doors of the church, genuinely, we need to learn from these geniuses. And he's very Macleodian um, in a in a Scottish context, I think, uh, but really worth digging into if you've you've not not read any Stuttgart Kennedy. Yeah. So listen here, this is what's getting me thinking. In a time like this, when the churches are, many of our churches are closed, what, what are we learning to be inspirational and be connecting? What, what, how do we be church? What does it mean for us to be church eh, when the buildings are closed and when we can't get into them? Well, it's connecting with others, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's providing the ministry, but... I mean, you could do that with a newsletter and it wouldn't be as good and it wouldn't have any heart and soul to it. But you could in a very practical and sort of, you could send out a Bible to everyone's home and tell them to read it. And, but it wouldn't do the same thing. I think it's bringing people together. And I think we're realising that, that that doesn't need to be in person. That you can hear someone tell you the word of God and you can hear the message online. You can hear it yeah. over the phone. You can hear it in other ways and you can be with people in other ways than just in person and I think the churches are starting to get that slowly and, and, and absolutely and I think we start to get that we actually start sharing what Jesus really is about uh, and I've been quite 
you know, as you know, we're we're planning and we've been looking at taking Sanctuary Firsty with a new app that's coming out and we've been doing a bit of advertising and we've been going to, preparing for the advertising when it's ready and we've been asking some folks to get back to us about their encounter with Sanctuary First, how it came about. And it's just interesting people saying they found Sanctuary First to be such a support to them at this time of, of difficulty because they've been able to come on to the coffee shop or they've been able to come into the book club and in that environment, um, find a Christian conversation, but it, that is not overwhelming because it allows them to talk about from what they know. Mm. And uh, as one man says, to even in listening to the Sunday services, it, he's finding it helpful because he feels as though he gets in the discussions, he gets two or three viewpoints rather than one person saying, this is it. And the, that kind of discussion thing is opening up to draw people in. And one wonders about, yeah, have we, have we locked God away? Well, no, have we locked ourselves away in our churches? And all the time God has been saying, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm not in there, I'm out here. <laughs> Come out, my Come out and meet me here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you say, the good thing about the, the Sunday Live is if it's a good way for people to um, get an, a, a, an in to a service that they might not have otherwise gone to due to maybe hesitation because it doesn't require any, firstly, it doesn't require any commitment from you. You've just got to watch it. Now you can pray along and you can read the scriptures along with it or you don't have to. You know, you can just watch it and enjoy it. Whereas a church, you've got to go to the building, you've got to see people, you've got to, you know, hello, I'm this person, you know, you've got to introduce yourself. You can stay anonymous, but with a Sunday Live, of course, you can come after into the coffee shop and introduce yourself. There is that possibility, mm -hmm. but it's not a must. And the benefit is if you don't like one week's sermon or one week's service, then just wait till next week's because it'll be different again. And you can get it and catch up. <laughs> that's true yeah. it doesn't have to be so, you, know, you know we, we, uh, the modern life uh, is, is a busy life my community are travelling all the time and they're not settled so um, you know the, the opportunity to either do something live or do it catch up is really important uh, I think and I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to exclude the importance of the church as a place to go as well Mm. I think Sanctuary First is a place to go, as we say, you know, in a in our in our strap line, the place to be. But um, I also think the local church is a very very important aspect of that. Yeah. And one of the things we learned with Church Without Walls is that um, church isn't about a building, but it also is a a place for us to gather um, and to live out our rituals and all these things as well. Mm. So. We're not competing a sanctuary first with the buildings and, and vice versa. People often think we're competing. No. Um, when it, really. It's complementary, no. I, I, I think, is, is the strength of sanctuary first. Absolutely. Uh, it's like you were saying earlier, that there, there's, with uh, the Christmas, and um, it, you, you, there's other ways to celebrate Christmas, but there's still a strength in the tangible and yeah. the material and the, the sort of symbols, and they still have a real value. Um, even if there's another way to sort of also get something from that. Yeah, I mean, this phrase that we're, that's becoming quite popular now is talking about hybrid church. 
that as churches uh, are looking forward and saying, you know, um, after COVID, are we going to keep doing online church? Uh, they're beginning to realize that they're going to have to keep going, but we need the two working together. And this idea of hybrid, drawing them together. And what we want to do is produce the very best that we can online so that we can also have, have a influence what we do at, at, you know, at local level is the very best we can, we can do as well in, in worship to God. Yeah. But more than anything else, I would just hope that we'll have learned from all of this the importance of being in relationship with one another and with, Christ, with God. That's the, the relationships are so important that I, that's what makes, makes us work. Because I, I was, um, I, I found that the, the New Hope, New Hope um, that you wrote about this week, Scott, um, and mm. this, the boy that, or the young man about that was wanting to, to be, become a Jedi, you know, and getting into conversation yeah, with them yeah, and all yeah. that. And, and then, then that linked in to what you were saying about, you know, being a chaplain, you know, walking about and meeting people where they are for God, you know, and, and I'm like, well, that, that's what, that is what, like, we should be doing, you know, and, and be, and not being like, you know, locked away, you know, you know, and precious about, oh, this is how we do things, you know, but being, being out there with people in their, you know, yeah. where they are. And I just, I was like, I thought that'd be, that'd have been a brilliant conversation and, you know, with Jesus and a Jedi and... <laughs> I like that. I particularly like that reading. Um, I particularly like that reading, Scott. Um, I, well, for many reasons, it was a good. It was a good reflection, but also, um, I'm a huge Star Wars fan and have been for you know as far as I was a little you know kid, um, and yeah. the especially when you're talking about New Hope and the religious sort of symbology that's in that film, it's quite interesting because of course it was based on the book Hero with a Thousand Faces which is all the mythologies, yeah, which yeah, contains, yeah. you know, Christianity in that was yeah. part of the mythos that um, built Star Wars into what it was. The reason why it's so loved yeah. and people love it as a story is because it's a story they already know. They just didn't know they already knew it. It's a story they've already heard in that of the Bible, in that of the um, George and the Dragon. You know, it, it's, it's all the tales that have already been told combined into this one strange plastic-shouldered, big globed facade, but it, it perfectly tells uh, a very human story and a very spiritual story of uh, good over evil. And uh, I think it explains a lot why people would want to become a Jedi, you know. But of course, as you say, when you sort of make that revelation to them, it says, ah, but the, what's, that's just the top slice. Underneath all of that, there's all this other mythology and, and, and faith that's holding that up. That's what, that's the real core of it. Yeah, I mean, we ended up, um, I mean, of course, those two lads that came to see us and, um, you know, they, they, they jumped in just for a laugh. You know, they, they, they weren't at all serious. They, they'd obviously just read the Facebook stuff about the fourth biggest religion in Britain was Jedi. And they saw me sitting about under a tree like, uh, like Jonah and uh, thought they would um, come and annoy me. And um, and it was quite good fun. Um, like all things, only one came back, 
But we, we did end up actually we got we got Campbell's book, A Hero with a Thousand Faces, sent out to us. And and so several of us uh, read the book out there, had a look at that and had this um discussion about uh, what Campbell was saying, what Lucas was saying in the Star Wars movies. Um, it, it took us into this discussion about cu- how our culture has been affected by all these different stories and the importance of myth mm. um, and how it's very easy in a Newtonian scientific dualistic age, uh, forgive me for this language, to throw out um, the story, the narrative. And we ended up talking about what narrative theology is, uh, you know, um, and by that time, the boys had fallen asleep, I think, and decided that <laughs> they weren't going to bother becoming Jedi's and they would just leave the dog tags as they were, as long as I'd let them go. Um, <laughs> but um, but um, we all just decided we'd prefer to be Jedi's rather than Church of England or Church of Scotland. It would just Definitely be more has fun. has a bit more exciting, this it? Yeah. I know. Right. They'd just be great. But, uh, yeah. There we go. But it was, yeah. it, it, was, it was good fun. And of course, if you're not there, people can't take the mickey out of you, but also you can't mm. then get to know them. And one of the, the difficulties for the parish ministers is that they, they can't be all things to all people. No. And it's very difficult to find the time to keep a congregation happy and properly visited and Bible study groups and all these things. And at the same time, spend your time with your 10,000 people in your parish and all these businesses and all these schools. And I often wonder if we need, we need to look more at an American model where you've got a minister that's very good with a gathered congregation teaching and all that stuff, but you need your chaplains for each parish yeah. who are really good with people who are non-churched mm-hmm. and and don't expect the non-churched to come to the church. Mm-hmm. That's not That's the point. interesting. Yeah, it definitely has some strengths to look at to borrow from. Uh-huh. I, used to, I used to always get a bit of a laughing bonus because I'd been there for such a long time that I didn't always need to go and visit everybody in the congregation because if I'd been there for 34 years, been in their house enough, they see oh, enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I could go around the, the parish and, the, and I used to say to people, oh, I'm the minister for the people that don't go to church. Oh, yeah. oh, and there's the but, truth. You're, you're our minister. I, of course, I'm the minister for the people who don't go to church. Yeah. And, the, I, and that kind of, there's, there's more and more that kind of thinking that we want people to say, we're, we're for you because there's something deeper. And I think that leads me on to this walking, working, walking and wondering mm-hmm. uh, part that you mm-hmm. wrote, which leads, it follows on from all of that. Uh, just, you know, how important it is to be out there, but I noticed there's one or two people really identified with your comments at the end where you say, when you are misunderstood or misrepresented, it is tempting to cry out like the psalmist and plead for help. This, of course, is not a very um, glorious response, but it is human and scripture allows it to be okay. And I, I, I really feel like, connected with that. I really <laughs> like that. I think... That's what I liked about Scott's stuff too. And I think also you didn't put in a prayer at the end. You, you, and when I sit in my seat, I'm, I always find a wee place when I do my, my, my reflections every, every day, a wee bit in the house where I go and sit and read. And I went to read the prayers and then the first day it wasn't there. And then the second day, and then I began to do, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then I started to think, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless me, Father. And I was drawn into Father, you know. Yeah, no, good. That, uh, that, uh, that's what I wanted. I wanted, I, I wanted the noise to go from it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted this to focus on the scripture, a much shorter meditation than the last time I wrote stuff. Uh, because you learn that, again, you can write less stuff for the, the weekly. And then the prayer didn't need to be much more. Um, and obviously it's a rhythm that people get and it's teaching people the rhythm of prayer. Because mm-hmm. um, we, we can be awfully wordy. And Jesus kind of pointed out in scripture that we really don't need to be that wordy. Because mm-hmm. the Father already knows what you want to say. Um, so if you're going to pray, just use these words which he gave us. So... Um, I think I try to pair everything back. Uh, so, so I'm glad some people got something out of it mm-hmm. um, this week. I, I really liked that, um, the, the, the cleanness, the style, you know, the, the style of your writing. Um, I really liked that because I think it, it, drew, it drew straight in, you know, just straight in, in to, the, to the message. And, and it was able to, to just sit and dwell for a bit as well. Oh, yeah, bless, bless you, thank us. you. That was lovely. Bless us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, you know, wow. You know, I, and to say that to yourself and and to say it to the whole community, because often now when I'm reading this now, I'm thinking we're part of the Sanctuary First community. There's, yeah. you know, there's yeah. there's Rob over in, in California and there's, see, yeah. you know, they're seeing... Raj in India and, yeah. and, and you know and all of a sudden we're realizing there's this community that's growing up out of Sanctuary First. It's bringing folk from across uh, different places and, and, and countries um, together um, and I like that and it's often in sharing one simple thing which is the um, which is a belief and, 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 and stories uh, albeit stories more often than not from the Bible, but stories nonetheless. Yeah, uh, the, the, you're talking about stories. This idea, the second thing we've been doing is actually first is if if the scripture readings are for the committed and those who are growing in discipleship, but sometimes the book clubs are opening up a door for people mm. who want to explore Christianity from a place where they are more familiar, from a book or a story, or a, like so we've been talking about, you've been talking about Star Wars, but but I know that Jack, you've been uh, doing some book clubs which are not necessarily uh, always reading Christian stories or Christian theology, but somehow yeah. the, there is always something that opens up for people to have a discussion about about morality or ethics or whatever it is. Yeah, there's, it always ends up tying in at some point to morality and people, which is ultimately the sort of, well, I'd think, the heart of the sort of Bible and it teaching sort of, not moral tales, it's a bit more than that, but it, it, they're no better place to find them and some sort of right sense of right and wrong and, and, and um, stories that indicate that and sort of parables and than, than in the Bible. and But you can also find these sort of cross parallels in other books as well. 
I mean, but there are there was another book club we, re we recently concluded, which was CS the CS Lewis one that Sandy uh, Sandy ran, and uh, that had a great uptake, and that yeah. was a very close look at the spiritual side of writing in another book. It was um, one of CS. It was about his upbringing and his childhood. Uh, surprised by joy and I think Sandy intends to do another one of them next year um, at some point after he's had a wee break so but um, I know that folk found them quite tough you know they were because it was uh, quite some of it was quite deep sort of stuff and quite theological Albert and Laura you were both in the book club but um, I've spoke to some of the people that come into um, my book club uh, the Tales from the Library one some of them were in the, t the C.S. Lewis one as well and it was interesting to hear sort of their, their, their views and a, a, a sort of it, them thinking it was it was tough for them to kind of learn and see between the lines what Lewis was, because Lewis is quite a deeply theological sort of chap and he writes quite Tight, heavily, he? you know. Uh, uh, so I think they found it interesting, but um, but challenging, which is oh. the, the, the one we do once a week at Tales from Life. It's a little bit more, a little bit less committing, a little bit more light and breezy. But uh, yeah, it's good to have a bit of both. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think that's a way for, in Sanctuary First, for people who want to start thinking more deeply about issues that they might not want to join a connect group, but they can start on a, on a, on a book group and start thinking. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, come, come along. I mean, the good thing is if you don't like one book one week, then just wait until next week because we always do a different story and they're always different authors. Um, this week, it was quite funny, actually. We've had, um, we did uh, Roald Dahl. And a lot of people associate Roald Dahl with his, his children books, but he actually has a slightly dark side, does oh, Roald Dahl. Yes. <laughs> uh, and he writes some sort of, some people maybe know some of his thrillers. There's Lamb to the Slaughter, with the woman that dobs in her husband with a leg of lamb. And there's some <laughs> other ones in this week. Uh, and then, you know, the policemen eat the lamb leg and eat the egg. <laughs> quite a cruel sort of, it's a sort of tale that piqued Hitchcock's interest, which probably tells you all you need to know about how dark they are. But um, with this week, we did The Rat Catcher, which is a great short story, but it's a bit gruesome near the end of the short story. And if you've not heard it yet, albeit the, the book club is finished, you'll still be able to find all the audiobooks still on the site. So you can go and have a listen or buy the book, you know. Um, but everyone came in and they were like, what did we think of the book this week? And about half of the folk went, I really didn't like it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was, and they're going, I, and one person said that they turned it off. And I had to go and read it in the book instead because it was too, oh. it was too gruesome. But um, they still wanted to come and talk about it. I said, "What was all that about?" You know. So, but it, I said to them, "At least next week you'll know that there's going to be something different. So it's not too. If one doesn't float your boat, it's not the end of the world." Uh, I know. I really hope to get into that one this week because I do. I do um, like Rob Dahl's uh, darker work. <laughs> <laughs> but I just get to caught up with work. This it was another for management. I was quite disappointed because I wanted to talk about. It. <laughs> there is a there is a morbid curiosity, isn't there? You know, yes. Um, uh, but you know, it, it's a good mix. We've covered some. I think I figured out the other week that says this week will be our twenty fifth book. Wow. That we'll be covering. Um, so that's a nice wee milestone. Uh, I'll need to pick a particular book now. Uh, to suit it but we've covered a bit of everything I and mean, we've had ray bradbury and science fiction to uh, seneca and philosophy to mythology and some stuff that ties in more older than that and uh, uh, a bit of andre moreau who's a french philosopher who was yeah i don't know scott will you be familiar with andre moreau he, 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 it's maybe a, a bit 
earlier on, he was the sort of handbook that was given out to soldiers to give them a sort of moral ABC rather than no, giving I, them a Bible. But I don't, I don't know him actually. No, no. Um, but but, but I'm it's, intrigued it's, now. His yeah. philosophy sort of ties in quite closely to that of the sort of Christian teachings, uh, okay. that, which I suppose is probably why they handed it out in, in wide pass by the government. But um, yeah. he, he was French, but the English translation was handed out to British troops, I believe, okay. in the 50s. Um, oh, right, okay. So uh, uh, that's interesting, yeah. But um, I'll, I'll have a look. Yeah. Some of the stuff he writes on marriage is a little bit outdated, as you can imagine. But then some of the yeah. stuff in the Bible on marriage is a little outdated. But you know, these things <laughs> change. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, listen, we've covered a lot of ground. And then, of course, the one other thing we've covered from the coffee shop where it's open, you know, for people to just come in and chat and get to know one another to the Bible study material and the, the connect groups. If you're interested in maybe wanting to be part of a connect group, get in touch with us and we'll set you up and try and get you involved in a connect group or just reading the scriptures every day and realizing that God can speak to us where we are in this moment in time. And we're not alone. We're never alone because his presence is here. And, and I think when we begin to grasp all this, then we might start looking at Christmas and reflecting on the inspiration that we need and where we're, what will we be sacrificing in a different light. So listen, it's been great chatting with you today and thank you again to all of you for joining me today. Thank you to Scott Shackleton for being with us and thank you to Laura Dagen for sharing with us again and to you, Jack, for sharing a bit more about the book clubs and we've really covered a lot of ground tonight and the uh, Remind you of the service on Sunday, 6.30. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the theme is keeping faith alive. Keeping I think. the faith alive, yes. Keeping the faith alive. Mm -hmm. And or coming to, if you're thinking about joining us, drop us a note about a connect group. You want to be part of a connect group, get in touch with us. Or you want to look into the coffee shop Thursday, 9 o'clock, or drop into one of Jack's book clubs. You'll be very welcome. So until we meet again. God bless you and be with you. And thank you to you, Ray, too, for being with us tonight and for keeping uh, the technicalities of, of our show going uh, behind the scenes. Thank you. And uh, so until next Friday night at um, 9 o'clock, have a good weekend. <laughs>